Exercise is the key not only to physical health, but to peace of mind. Nelson Mandela. Man's time here is finite, but the influence of a man is infinite. The question is what shall we do with the daylight that remains? All right, welcome back, guys. Today, we are going to talk about Younger Next Year, Live Strong, Fit, and Sexy Until Your 80s and Beyond, written by Chris Crowley and Henry S. Lodge. Now, I just want to talk about two chapters in here. I've done a book review on this before. I've referenced this book many times, but I want to get some detail around the cellular level of the body and why exercise is so important and effective at keeping you well. Before we jump into the Younger Next Year, I want to let you know that we've been working on a course. We're going to release just the mini course first between Christmas and New Year's for those of you who are fans of setting New Year's resolutions. And instead of making it a killer two weeks in January, you want to make lasting impact. That's what this is for, to help you make lasting impact. It's a three-step process to keep things very simple and easy and so that you can Make sure that you execute on a daily basis, and by the end of next year, you'll have a completely different lifestyle as it pertains to specific goals. All right, to the book. The simple fact is that we know perfectly well what to do. Some 70% of premature death and aging is lifestyle-related. Heart attacks, strokes, the common cancers, diabetes, most falls, fractures, and serious injuries, and many more illnesses are primarily caused by the way we live. If we had the will to do it, we could eliminate more than half of all diseases in men and women over 50. Not delay it, eliminate it. That is a readily attainable goal, but we are not moving toward it. Instead, we have made these problems invisible by making them part of the normal landscape of aging, as in, oh, that's a normal part of growing older. So the next section is titled, Normal Aging Isn't Normal. The more I looked at the science, the more it became clear that such ailments and deterioration are not a normal part of growing old. They are an outrage, an outrage that we have simply gotten used to because we set the bar so shamefully low. A lot of people unconsciously assume that they will get old and die. One phrase, almost one word, and certainly one seamless concept, that when they get old and infirm, they will die soon after. So a deteriorating quality of life does not matter. That is a deeply mistaken idea and a dangerous premise for planning your life. In fact, you will probably get old and live. You can get decrepit if you like, but you are not likely to die. You are likely to live like that for a long, long time. Most Americans today will live into their mid-80s, whether they're in great shape or shuffling around on walkers. And that number is rising over time, too. So you may well live into your 90s, whether you like it or not which is a good reason to make the last third of your life terrific and not a dreary panoply of obesity, sore joints, and apathy. With air quotes, normal aging is intolerable and avoidable. You can skip most of it and grow old, not just gracefully, but with real joy. This topic has come up a lot for me because I started my career in healthcare as a nurse in long-term care. And so I took care of people in that last third of their life. And there were some pretty obvious differences between certain people. Some of them 
were young, like in their late 60s, early 70s, overweight, weak, wounds, diabetics, cupfuls of medications with multiple diagnoses, comorbid conditions galore. <laughs> it's a rough place to be. And they live in that state for quite a long time. And then there's this other class of people that are very old, healthy body weight, mobile, on very few medications, they're just getting really old. And so they're, you know, in their 90s or even 100. I, I took care of a lady that was 106 years old. There was another lady that was 96, and she would literally just walk laps around the building with her walker and occasionally stop by my cart for her eye drops. That was the one thing she wanted. <laughs> occasionally, she would take an ibuprofen. That was it. She didn't have any medications. She was healthy. She was just old. And there's a clear difference between those two people and, and the lifestyles they've lived. And uh, even at that point in life, it would show up. Lifestyle differences were obvious. So moving on in the book, Change on the Cellular Level. This is where I get really intrigued by this book. Let's back up. Ten years ago, the basic science of health was unknown territory, the huge blank space on the map. But we finally learned enough from studying disease to understand health. As it turns out, health is biologically more complicated than disease. In disease, the train has gone off the tracks and the laws of physics take over. The crash is terrifying and destructive, but the science is simple. Health is the reverse. It has carefully designed control mechanisms to keep the train on the tracks. The science of those mechanisms, the blueprint for our bodies, is phenomenally complex. So in a nutshell, he's basically saying that the body has this state of homeostasis that is extremely complicated. And so it's kind of easier to tell what's gone wrong once it's gone wrong than it is to really understand how it all stays put together so neatly and, and perfectly. <laughs> and you're much better off to preserve that homeostasis by doing what we know helps you stay healthy than you are to try and correct it later. So I'm skipping forward to a section called springtime on the savanna. Let's start with the signals to grow, to get younger. It's springtime on the African savanna, a time of plenty in the place where we grew up. The rains have come, the grass is lush, and the water holes are full. Predators are relatively few and not a major threat. They demand alertness and respect, but not anxiety. Prey abounds, but the antelope, nuts, and berries are scattered over a wide area. So hunting and gathering require hours of walking every day. Even today, bushmen in the Kalahari walk 8 to 10 miles every day, foraging for food. With intervals of running and sprinting when they hunt. That exercise, the physical work of hunting and foraging in the spring, has always been the single most powerful signal we can send that life is good, that it's spring and time to live and grow. In response to the chemical signals sent by that exercise, your body becomes lean, powerful, and efficient. Excess fat becomes superfluous because the energy supply is fairly constant. Your body keeps a modest fat reserve to guard against hard times, but more than this is just a liability because lugging it around takes energy and slows your reaction time. Bone strength and joint health increase to handle the repetitive shock loading of the travel. Your heart and circulatory function increase to supply the blood and oxygen to your muscles. The muscles themselves become strong, supple, and more coordinated. Immune function increases to repair the ongoing wear and tear, the sprains, cuts, bruises, and minor infections that accompany active outdoor life. Your brain changes too. As it gets these constant physical signals from your body, it develops a chemistry of optimism, the ideal mood for hunting, 
Lab animals in similar exercise environments show actual physical and chemical brain changes, leading to increased curiosity and energy, an increased willingness to explore, increased interaction with group members, increased alertness, and what looks for all the world like increased optimism. Lean, fit, happy, optimistic, energetic, brimming with vim and vigor. These were nature's design specifications for you in the ideal environment, what you were built to be in the spring. <laughs> so a cool description of what life is like in the savanna for an animal or people back in the day and that these hunter-gatherers would walk 10 miles a day, hunting, gathering, packing things, running when hunting. That's a normal environment for the biology that we're made of. And now here I sit in front of a computer and a microphone pretending that this is work, right? So our modern day lifestyle just is not very conducive to what the biology has adapted to. I mean, we've only been this way for a few short generations. Skipping ahead a little bit, he says, in a paradox that you absolutely have to understand, endless calories and a lack of exercise signal your body that you're heading into a famine that you may well not survive. And in response, your body and brain head into a low-grade form of depression. Ironically, in nature, depression is normal. It's a critical survival strategy. Let's look at real nature for a moment, not the beautiful sunsets, the songbirds thrilling in the garden and Bambi and Thumper playing tag in the glade, but the killing fields, the nature where 50% of antelope foals are torn apart by coyotes in the first two weeks of life, where kill or be killed is not a metaphor, but deadly real every day, the nature where there is no margin for error, not a small margin, but none. Adapting to good times is easy. Adapting to bad times, to drought, winter, or danger is critical. Dead animals don't reproduce. <laughs> so depression is a typical state. Uh, he describes it more in other parts of the book. But basically, when winter comes, we get more tired. We go into a low-grade depression. And essentially, it's, I guess, akin to like hibernation for a bear, right? Uh, let's use fewer calories. We're less motivated because we're kind of depressed or a little bit subdued. We're willing to just kind of hunker down and not move much. We're going to sleep this one out. We'll only go do the bare minimum and then come back to our cave or our house, right? And that's normal if in the springtime, when the days start getting longer and, the, and a little bit warmer, you're going to perk back up and get outside and work hard. The problem is in modern day society, springtime doesn't necessarily bring a whole lot of real physical activity, maybe a touch more, but nothing close to what our biology is used to. Starting in the middle of a paragraph, he says, low grade depression combined with the physical decay is your body's preferred state of health for this situation. The thing is, the signals for this particular state of health are pretty much the lifestyle of the standard American retirement. Being sedentary, withdrawing from social contact, and eating everything you can get your hands on, these are the primary signals of famine or winter, and your body will respond. With the unerring certainty born of billions of years of survival, it will respond to your behavior. Being sedentary is the most important signal for decay. And we're going to get into this decay thing. This is what blew my mind about this book and has made me an everyday exerciser for the rest of my life. <laughs> okay. Skipping ahead, your body tissues and neural circuits are always trying to decay. Muscle, bone, brain, always trying to melt like ice cream cones in the sun. 
The good news is that the decay signals, though constant, are weak. If you don't send any signals to grow, decay will win. But even a modest signal to grow, a decent workout, even a good stiff walk will drown out the noise. Thing is, you need to do something every day to tell your body it's springtime. That's the key to this book. It isn't complicated, but you have to work at it every day. Keep in mind that decay is not biological aging. Decay is the dry rot caused by our modern sedentary lifestyle. Decay comes from turning on the TV when the sun is out, from cracking that beer while you watch, from every drive to the fast food place to get a supersized order of fries or soft drink full of sugar and caffeine, from riding around the golf course in an electric cart, from sitting home alone. Decay comes from giving up on life and failing to engage, but decay can be stopped or radically slowed by using the Darwinian mechanisms we've talked about. Aging is up to nature, but decay is up to you. To sort of summarize this, basically we have this slow tide of decay always at play in our bodies. And that's normal because we constantly are trying to readapt to our environment. If we go back to the savannah, spring and, and winter were severely different for the animals and the people that live there, right? Sometimes you're walking very, very long distances, and sometimes you're trying to hunker down and make it through a difficult time of year. And so you need to adapt and readapt over and over. So your body decays, breaks down that muscle, breaks down the bone, breaks down all kinds of things, and then it regenerates based on your activity. So if you don't have any activity, it's like, okay, let's let's use very few calories and preserve what we can. If you are burning tons of calories, working out very hard in the hot sun, your body goes, okay, well, let's let's lean up a little bit. Let's make sure we're energetic. Let's make sure our muscles are strong. Our bones are strong. Our brain is alert and all that begins to regenerate. And so if you changed environment, you could adapt again. So that's why the decay and rebuild is so important. It keeps our bodies fresh, gets rid of old and, and dying cells or cancerous cells, all kinds of things. But if we just sit in decay mode because our lifestyle is signaling to the body that we are in a state of famine forever, we're going to just let the decay take over. He ends this section saying, think about what your physical brain learned from the way you lived today and think about whether it told your body to grow or decay. If that freaks you out to think about that and go, hmm, I think I told my body to decay over grow, you're probably doing something wrong, huh? It's time to get up and walk, get up and run, go lift some weights. In short, we have adopted a lifestyle which for people designed as we are designed, is nothing less than a disease. Think about that. Our lifestyle, especially in retirement, especially in this wonderful country, is a disease more deadly than cancer, war, or plague. We live longer because of modern medicine, but many of us live wretchedly and many of us die much younger than we should. The point of this book is that we have to learn to cure ourselves or, in the midst of all this plenty, we will live and prematurely die in unnecessary pain in bodies that believe they are in the grip of famine. Physical exercise and involvement in life trigger great waves of grow messages throughout your body and mind. If you send the right messages, you have several billion years of evolution and trillions of ancestors on your side sending out primitive messages by the billions making you stronger, more agile, smarter, 
better able to take hard knocks. Exercise is the only way to engage your body and your physical brain. With relatively little effort, you can mimic a younger man in his prime, exercising, interacting, making love, and your body will go along. Remember, the tide is relentless, but it is not strong. If we are relentless ourselves, if we are active and engaged every day, we can resist and even swim against the tide into very old age. It takes work and routine, but that's what most of us have had all our lives. Okay, now that we've established a bit about this decay and the signals from our body, he says the biology of growth and decay, things that go bump in the night. The muscle cells in your thigh are completely replaced one at a time, day and night, about every four months. Brand new muscles three times a year. Your blood cells are replaced every three months. Your platelets every 10 days. Your bones every couple of years. Your taste buds are replaced every day. This is not a passive process. You don't wait for a part to wear out or break. You destroy it at the end of its planned lifespan and replace it with a new one. Biologists now believe that most cells in your body are designed to fall apart after relatively short lifespans, partly to let you adapt to new circumstances and partly because older cells tend to get cancer, making immortal cells not such a great idea. The net result is that you are actively destroying large parts of your body all the time on purpose, throwing out truckloads of perfectly good body to make room for new growth. Your spleen's major job is to destroy your blood cells. You have armies of special cells whose only job is to dissolve your bones so other cells can build them up again, like pruning in autumn to make room for growth in the spring. The trick, of course, is to grow more than you throw out. And this is where exercise comes in. It turns out that your muscles control the chemistry of growth throughout your whole body. The nerve impulse to contract a muscle also sends a tiny signal to build it up creating a moment-to-moment chemical balance between growth and decay within the muscle. Those two same signals are then sent to the rest of the body. If enough of the growth signals are sent at once, they overwhelm the signals to atrophy, and your body turns on the machinery to build up the cells, heart capillaries, tendons, bones, joints, coordination, and so on. So exercise is the master signaler, the agent that sets hundreds of chemical cascades in motion each time you get on the treadmill and start to sweat. So I hope you're getting the message here that exercise basically keeps all of the body systems working well and healthy and that the decay is is a good thing if you're rebuilding. But if you're not rebuilding, then you're literally just decaying and dying and that is not going to go well for you at the latter half of your life. So for you sciencey people, I'll I'll describe just one bit of this decay slash rebuilder uh, from the cellular level, which I found really interesting. This section is called A Closer Look, The Messengers of Change. You have two information superhighways in your body, your nervous systems and the circulatory system. It may come as a surprise that your bloodstream carries information, but it does. Plasma in particular is a complex living river of thousands of chemicals and proteins signaling and controlling virtually every aspect of your body. Growth, decay, mood, immune function, cancer surveillance, fat metabolism, sexuality, joint health, and it all operates through inflammation and repair. Here's how it works. When your cells sense damage, say from exercise, they automatically release chemicals to start the inflammation to set the stage for repair. A few of those chemicals leak into the bloodstream, and those few molecules draw white blood cells to the injured area, the way blood in the water draws sharks from miles around. 
After the inflammatory cycle has done its demolition work, the white blood cells go away, leaving behind a clean, fresh surface so the construction crews can get to work on the growth part of the cycle. This chemistry is at the core of the new science we talk about in this book, so let's go into more detail here. The proteins that control inflammation are called cytokines, and they regulate every aspect of your biology. Cytokines are messenger molecules. They turn on or off virtually all the metabolic pathways in each tissue and cell in your body. Each tissue has its own specific cytokines, but they cross-react to coordinate growth or decay throughout your body. Hundreds, perhaps even thousands of cytokines are at work in your body, regulating growth and decay down to the most microscopic level. For the purpose of this book, however, imagine there are only two cytokines in your whole body, two master chemicals that control growth or decay in every tissue and cell. It's a massive simplification, but surprisingly accurate. We'll call these chemicals cytokine 6 and cytokine 10 after these specific cytokines called interleukins 6 and 10 that control growth and decay in your muscles. C6, for short, is the master chemical for inflammation or decay, and C10 is the master chemical for repair and growth. C6 is produced in both the muscle cells and the bloodstream in response to exercise, and C10 is produced in response to C6. This is your body's brilliant mechanism for coupling decay and growth. C6 actually triggers the production of C10. Decay triggers growth. Now, let's take a fresh look at the power of exercise to change your whole body in light of this new information. You have 660 muscles, which make up almost 50% of your lean body weight. Those 75 or 100 pounds of muscle are a massive reservoir of C6 and C10, a massive reservoir of potential youth if you do your part. Exercise triggers repair, renewal, and growth by producing C6. All forms of aerobic exercise produce C6 in logarithmic proportions to both the duration and intensity of exercise. In marathon runners, the level of C6 rises a hundredfold by the end of the race. It is an automatic measure of how much exercise you do, how much inflammation you cause, and how much growth you will experience. In other words, how much C10 will be released. C10 is key because growth is the magic you are after, but growth is too complicated for neat description. Demolition is easy to describe because while it's important that you don't hit a gas main or anything, it's basically sledgehammers and dumpsters. But growth is blueprints and master carpenters and electricians all controlled by C10. We're not going to go into the fine details of how the cytokines actually do this because frankly, it's too complex to fit in this book. But you will see C10's effect as you build your stronger, healthier, younger body. The most important thing to understand about C10 is that it is automatically turned on by C6. Inflammation controls growth. That's the critical concept. C6 peaks right after the marathon and turns on the cytokines that control repair, which peak an hour or so later and which stay at higher levels for hours after exercise, repairing your body. At rest, only 20% of your blood flow moves through your muscles. In a trained athlete, that rises with exercise to 80%. So you literally have to trigger these growth cells to take action by stressing your body in positive ways. So exercise, both aerobic and anaerobic exercises have their pros, but he says that the aerobic exercise is specifically associated with rises in C6. So there, there's one part of the book, he says something along the lines of like the aerobic exercise keeps you young, but the anaerobic 
uh, is what makes life fun. And so basically saying like, if you can be strong and agile in addition to feeling well and avoiding decay and illness, then you're, you're in the best spot. So exercise every day, mix it up a little bit using some aerobic, some anaerobic, maybe four days of aerobic, three days anaerobic or five and two, something right there, uh, is about his recommendation. So anyway, I hope this book helps you understand why you must exercise. You know, a lot of people, it's always about their appearance or they want to be some, you know, they want to perform in some sport and you may not have a sport or have a complex with your image, but you still need to exercise in order to stay healthy, stay happy, stay motivated. It helps your brain. It helps your muscles. It helps your bones. It literally helps every aspect of your body and life. So exercise, exercise, exercise. So I will put the book link in the show notes if you want to purchase this book younger next year. And as always, I appreciate you guys showing up. I'll catch you on the next one. Hey, thanks for listening to the entire episode. As a token of gratitude, I want to give you a discount on my book, Ingrained. Head over to bronsonwilkes.com store and download Ingrained for less than a dollar with the coupon code GOALS, G-O-A-L-S.